earthly relationships. Yes, even our fathers who will fail us. But God, you never do. Thank you for your love that covers us, fills us. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you on a cool morning. Uh, a couple of announcements this morning, and then we'll have our prayer time. First of all, leadership team, we are meeting tomorrow night. Uh, that's on the schedule, just so you know about that. Um, nominations are open for our leadership team. Uh, this year, Mark and Dean are, uh, I think the term would be terming out. They, they've served a couple terms, and now Constitution says they need to uh, step back for a little while, and so we're, it's open for nominations. Uh, in the back, there's a black box with a piece of paper, and so, um, yeah, if you got some ideas, write them on there. Um, we do need to have this wrapped up by the end of the month, um, so the, the kind of the opening space for nominations will conclude at the end of this month. We are doing a new sermon series uh, on We Believe, and so with that, We've ordered some Confession of Faith booklets. They should be in the back. We ordered 100. We can get more. They're free for the taking, so feel free to grab one of those uh, over the next couple weeks. Uh, those are back there. Uh, April 21st, we're doing a Love Henderson Spring Cleanup Day. There's more information in the bulletin. If you have more detailed questions, talk to Laura Jost. Um, but kind of a, a neat deal that, that's happening, so I would encourage you to check that out. As we have a prayer time, a, a few things that I would invite you to pray for about this upcoming week. Um, some pretty severe fires down in Oklahoma. We want to be praying for them. Uh, we, want, we are celebrating with uh, Leroy and Judy. Uh, Tiffany Dick, their daughter-in-law, um, went to Mayo again, and the, the scan was clear for cancer. So really great news there. So that's just, um, yes. <laughs> So once again, if you want more details, uh, talk to them or, or in the bulletin, but we are just thrilled about that. Um, the MB Mission Prayer Requests uh, names Zaporozhye, Ukraine, and you know, uh, sometimes they name stuff, and, and I don't know what they're talking about, uh, but, but other times I do, and I, I would invite you to pray for Ukraine. There's a lot of heartbreaking stats about Ukraine. We had a couple of trek teams that served there, particularly with orphanages. Uh, with the orphanage system there, you're pretty much kicked out at 16 with $200 cash and told to go find your way. Their education is considered subpar by the rest of the community, so the rest of the community doesn't really want to hire them. So I, I forget the stats, but somewhere around two-thirds, three-quarters of them either end up in prison or in prostitution. Um, the ratio of men to women, I think it's past 65, is 30 to 1, 30, men, or 30 women for every man. Uh, because all the men have died from alcohol poisoning by, by that age. So just some, yeah, there's a lot of stuff to, to pray for about Ukraine. So I'd encourage you to, to pray for that this week as well. Let's have a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, there is a lot of pain and hardship in the world. Uh, we've named a few here. God, everyone in this audience can name more. They can name personal stories, stories of family, uh, locations, parts of the world, various injustices that are happening. 
And so, Lord, we just, we just intercede for those this morning. Those faces, those stories, those relatives, those places. God, we need you. Our world so desperately needs you. And truth and help and healing and wholeness and freedom ultimately is going to be sourced out of you, Jesus. God, we thank you for the things that we get to celebrate. We give you praise for Tiffany's good medical report. Thank you for another day, for life, for the opportunity to gather, for the heritage of this church, and for the ways that we do see you working and moving around the world. Even this weekend, chatting with a young man and he and his wife are pursuing long-term mission in a place that needs you. God, there are neat stories happening. And we praise you for that. Lord, this morning we want to learn more about you. We want to grow closer to you. We want to honor you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you that you desire personal relationship with us. We love you, Lord. Amen.
Thanks, worship team. That was very good. A while back, I was chatting with a friend of mine uh, who's also in the ministry, and just chatting odds and ends, and uh, just kind of wondered out loud. I, you know, I said, like, what are, what are the deep questions that, that people have? Like, what are, what are the deep things that they wrestle with? And uh, wh- whether or not they, they would even recognize it or, or name it, but, like, what is just at the core of what we really want to know about life? And he was quick. He responded right away, and um, just with almost a- without hesitation, he goes, does the gospel actually have power? Like, that's what people want to know. Uh, especially people, I, I think, really even almost more so, people that have grown up in the church, uh, who, who have spent a lot of time. But does, does the gospel, act, like, is there really power in this Christian thing to change my everyday life? Like, can it, can it functionally change my life? And I think he's right. I think all of us, whether or not we did grow up in a Christian environment at, at, or not, at some point we want to know, we want to experience, does the gospel actually have power? Uh, so as I mentioned, we're in the sermon title called We Believe, and we're working through the Mennonite Brethren Confession of Faith. And uh, last, last week we talked about different parts of it. Last week we talked about we believe in the gospel story. And so that out of the 18 points of the confession of faith, we covered four of them. We talked about how we believe in creation. God created the, the heavens and the earth. We believe in the fall of mankind, Adam and Eve, and they let sin into the world. And we believe in the redemption when Christ came and died for our sins. And we believe in the restor- restoration when Christ will come again. And uh, those are really kind of the main four themes of the gospel, and that, that's what we believe in. This week we're, we're covering three other ones. We're going to talk about God and Scripture and, and Sabbath rest. And, and I would describe it like this. In many ways we're talking about what does it mean to find and experience God. And, and once again, we're going to just kind of skim over the surface of this. There, there's a lot more today, but... But, but, but when looking through the, these different points, we're really talking about how do we find God and what are some of the ways that, that we experience God. And uh, so we're just going to go after the tip of the iceberg on, on this. Um, I'm going to, and once again, I'm actually going to read the articles to you. Uh, I think that that's helpful rather than just summarizing them. As I read this first one, though, there's a couple things that I want you to listen for. So this is going to be the very first article, and it's going to talk about God. When they crafted this, they chose to stick with descriptors found in Scripture rather than philosophical terms. So what you will hear is you will hear things like shepherd, refuge, fortress. What you will not hear is things like omniscient, omnipresent, omno, I forget the third one. They've chosen not to do that. The other thing to listen for is the progression. It's going to start with an overall statement, and then it's going to give a paragraph on the three points of the Trinity. And then we're going to talk about the Trinity. We believe the one true God. Oh, hold on, hold on. Uh, We believe in the one true living God, creator of heaven and earth. God is almighty in power, perfect in wisdom, righteous in judgment, overflowing in steadfast love. God is the sovereign who rules over all things, visible and invisible. The shepherd who rescues the lost and the helpless. God is a refuge and fortress for those in need. God is a consuming fire, perfect in holiness, yet slow to anger and abounding in tender mercy. 
God comforts like a loving mother, trains and disciplines like a caring father, and persists in covenant love like a faithful husband. We confess God is eternal Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father is the source of all life. In him we live and move and have our being. The Father seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth and hears the prayers of all who call on him. In the fullness of time, the Father sent the Son for the salvation of the world. Through Jesus Christ, the Father adopts all who respond in faith to the gospel, forgiving those who repent of their sin and entering into a new covenant with them. God gives the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, to all his children. God's creative and redemptive love sustains the world until the end of the age. The Son, through whom all things were created and who holds all things together, is the image of the invisible God. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus took on human nature to redeem this fallen world. He revealed the fullness of God through his obedient and sinless life. Through word and deed, Jesus proclaimed the reign of God, bringing good news to the poor, release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. Christ triumphed over sin through his death and resurrection and was exalted as Lord of creation and the church. The Savior of the world invites all to be reconciled to God, offering peace to those far and near and calling them to follow him in the way of the cross. Until the Lord Jesus returns in glory, he intercedes for believers, acts as their advocate, and calls them to be his witnesses. The Holy Spirit, the Counselor, is the creative power, presence, and wisdom of God. The Spirit convicts people of sin, gives them new life, guides them into all truth. By the Spirit, believers are baptized into one body. The indwelling Spirit testifies that they are God's children, distributes gift for ministry, empowers for witness, and produces the fruit of righteousness. As comforter, the Holy Spirit helps God's children in their weakness, intercedes for them according to God's will, and assures them of eternal life. Uh, Tabor College, my senior year. Some Bible class, I forget the name of it. Modern faith, faith in a modern world, modern faith in today, something. Faith and world were in the title. Uh, 7.30 a.m., because they, they did that back then, all the time. Um, the, the cafeteria had recently installed a cappuccino machine. We were loving that. Um, and we just looked to it as this source of just golden caffeine that would keep you awake through all your 7.30 classes. And uh, the class was down in the basement, so we would, you know, grab our cappuccino after breakfast and go, down, go downstairs. Well, I go to one class. I'm sitting across from a friend of mine. Um, not like a coffee mug, but like the big water cups. She's got two of those with cappuccino, right? So obviously been a rough night uh, or a short night or something like that. I'm not implying anything there. We were just all sleep deprived. Um, so she's got her two cappuccinos. I'm across from her in my, with my one cappuccino. And our prof turns to her and goes, describe the Trinity. And so she's, and I still remember her with like a cappuccino in each hand. She's like, well, there's one, but like there's three, but one, but, but like it's three. Like she just kept saying that over and over again. And I'm across from her going, yeah, that's really insightful. I well articulated, you know, and eventually she just goes, I, it's 730. It's the Trinity. I have no idea. <laughs> and the prof was like, yeah, okay, fair enough. I'm not sure I, I could describe the Trinity any time of the day. 
the Trinity is just hard to explain and, and even harder to understand. And literally, after all these years of Christian living, even today, the best I can come up with is like, like there's one, but like three, but one. Like, that's, that's the best I got for you. Um, there's a legend around St. Patrick. St. Patrick is the patron saint of Ireland. It's from him that we get, that we get the holiday of St. Patrick's Day. Um, so this guy, he's born in Britain into a wealthy family. At 16, he is kidnapped by pirates and taken over to Ireland and sold into slavery over there. Works in Ireland for six or seven years. Um, then eventually escapes, goes on, enters the priesthood, that kind of thing. And then returns to Ireland, the place of his slavery, to do missions work. Well, that right there is just epic in, in all these different ways. While he was there, he literally converts thousands of people to Christianity, uh, plants multiple churches, and, and just does work there for 40 years. Uh, 40. If, and um, one of the legends, which may, may be a stretch, but one of the legends is that they, people were having a hard time understanding the Trinity. And so he picked a shamrock, which is a three-leaf clover, and it, now it's like the plant of Ireland, like that's their symbol. And he said it's kind of like the three-leaf clover. Three parts, but one. And that worked for him, and they made him a saint. So, um, you know, sometimes, I don't, with the Trinity, it's, th- there are actually artistic drawings of like three and one that have probably helped me more in understanding the Trinity than, than verbal descriptions. And just trying to understand how you can have like the one, but the three, but, but the one. Uh, one thing that, that we often, it, that is important to stress in all this is to remember that, that we actually do believe in monotheism. Like, we believe in the one God. Um, we tend, though, to talk about the three parts as distinct entities so much that it, uh, at least for me, we, we kind of slip into this thinking of three gods. But it is actually one God. And on, on the global stage, that's a big deal. Uh, there's actually only a handful of religions that would technically believe in monotheism. Uh, I think Judaism, Islam, and Christianity really are, are the three that would embrace uh, monotheism. And others would even challenge us and say, like, eh, you don't really believe because, like, you got the three-in-one thing going on. So uh, not really sure about that. Um, for the Israelites in the Old Testament, another thing to remember, you know, for them is that they really only knew Yahweh. Like, they only really knew God the, the Father. And... I don't really get the impression that they really knew about Jesus Christ or or the Holy Spirit. They knew that a Messiah or a Savior was coming. But if you read the opening book of Mark and how Mark pens that opening, you really get the impression that for Jews, it was really a surprise that the Messiah was also going to be God's son. Like they didn't didn't see that that part coming. So you got to think about this from their perspective. As far as they're concerned, there's one God. And then a guy shows up and he says, I'm God's son. And they're like, wait, what, there's two of you? No, but there's one of you? Like, we thought there was one, but now that you're saying there's two of you? And then Jesus later goes on, well, actually, there's a third one. He's coming later. You know, and they're like, how many of you are there? So it was really difficult for for them to to wrap their mind around it and really kind of rock their world. The other thing that there is so much that that could be in here. One of the things, though, that that I want to point out that I do find fascinating Both the Son and the Holy Spirit, and this gets named in the confession, both the Son and the Holy Spirit intercede for you 
on a regular basis. One of the, the stories, and I, I'm even trying to remember where I heard of it, but uh, this, the, he, he had an ongoing conversation with a Muslim, and they were talking, and when he came to this idea that Jesus intercedes for us, that was so foreign in his thinking around what it means to be God, it completely rocked his world, and, I, and, and maybe out of that became a Christian or not. But this guy was talking like he often diverts Muslims to that idea that Jesus intercedes for us. Romans 8.34. 35 is popular. You'll recognize 35. But 34. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And the grammar on that is like active, ongoing. This, like it didn't once happen, like it continues to happen. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? And then Romans eight twenty six talks about the Holy Spirit inter- interceding for us as well too. So I'm a little bit curious. Quick show of hands. Ten minutes ago, how many of you, like you knew that both the Son and the Holy Spirit were in an ongoing interceding for you. How many of you were very familiar with that? Like maybe a dozen. And I I just wanted to highlight that because that little tidbit changed a man's destiny for all eternity. And just to share that there is so much about God for us to learn yet, And that God's word, his scripture, has power in ways that, like, we're just, we just gloss over and miss all the time. But for someone else, this little verse about Jesus interceding for us changed their life. And I think it's just actually a remarkable testament um, to not only the character of who Christ is, but even just the the power of scripture and all all that's in there. So, one God, three parts, but one God, but two out of the three are interceding for you at all times. We're good? There's lots of other stuff in there, too. But we got to keep rolling. Revelation of God, Article 2. We believe that God made himself known to all people. God's power and nature have always been evident in creation. The Old Testament reveals God as the one who established a covenant relationship with Israel to make known to all people the eternal plan of salvation. God revealed himself supremely in Jesus Christ as recorded in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit continues to make God known to individuals in the church. This revelation is always consistent with the scriptures. We believe that the entire Bible was inspired by God through the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit guides the community of faith in the interpretation of Scripture. The person, teaching, and life of Jesus Christ bring continuity and clarity to both the Old and New Testament. The Old Testament bears witness to Christ, and Christ is the one whom the New Testament proclaims. We accept the Bible as the infallible Word of God and the authoritative guide for life and practice. The idea that we believe that God has made himself known to all people is a very, very powerful statement. And that, that's one of the very opening statements. Um, the Code of Hammurabi, well-preserved Babylonian code of law, Mesopotamia, 
1754 B.C. Uh, it's one of the oldest deciphered writings um, like of its time. And it's basically this huge seven and a half foot stone. And engraved on it are 282 laws. And then there's scaled punishment for, for each of these laws. And according to my elementary school teacher long ago, um, part of the reason on this is that if, if you write a law, but I have no way of knowing about it, then you actually don't really have grounds to hold me accountable to that law. So if, you're, if you proclaim a law and then it gets, you know, shouted at the corner of, of City Square, but I'm gone on like a business trip, and then I come home and I break your law, like you didn't let me know about it, how can I be held accountable to that? But if you take that law and you write it in stone and you put it in a publicly accessible place where anyone can access it, then now the burden is on me because I should have gone and read up on the laws and followed the laws. And actually now you have authority to punish me for breaking the law. I mean, it, it's kind of like speeding. Like the sign is posted whether you see it or not. Like the burden is on me to know the sign and, and to follow the, the speed limit. If God has not made himself known or made himself accessible to all people, then really his justice system really isn't true justice. Because it's not really fair. If people never actually have a chance, that's not true justice. But, according to Scripture and what we would believe in the Confession of Faith and the first part of Romans, like the claim is that the knowledge of God is available to everyone, first through nature, but then also through Scripture, and even just for us, even just historical knowledge of Jesus Christ. And because of that, God is then justified in judging people who reject him. Uh, I think I told you this story. MB Mission has this great story of this gal who came to faith in Christ and actually discovered Christ in a Middle Eastern context through her art history class. Because as she was studying art, she's going, who, why are all these people drawing pictures about this Jesus guy? Like, why does this keep coming up century after century after century? And so she started to look in, who is this Jesus guy? Because, like, his picture's everywhere. For centuries. And tied in with this is, the, is honestly the topic of hell. And hell is a delicate, controversial topic. You've got to be careful with, with that one. And for some people, hell implies that God is not loving. And, and it implies, actually, that, well, some of my behavior might be wrong or bad or inappropriate. And no one likes to hear that. But that's what it implies. And the follow-up question is always, would God really send people to hell if, he, if they never had a chance to hear about him or accept his offer? Like, that's not fair. And, so, and if hell was not real, then, then it's actually not a big deal. But because God has revealed himself in nature as well as in Scripture, then, then what we're saying is that really no one is without excuse. And on the nature thing, I mean, that's actually fascinating. I mean, like, like we're actually claiming that nature is so saturated 
with the evidence of God that it is enough to justify judgment on those who refuse him. Every time you go for a walk in the park and you enjoy the trees and the grass and everything else around you, every time someone studies cellular biology under a microscope, anytime someone analyzes protein structures with computer models, there is enough glaring evidence that God actually has grounds to say you knew, but you, choose, you chose to ignore. Like, it was there before you. Like, you, you could have figured this out. So God reveals himself in nature. That is, that's a huge point, um, especially for just today in our culture and our society. Secondly, God reveals himself in Scripture. This is another big debate. Um, you see this happening kind of across Christian landscape, um, also even just within Christianity. Uh, I see this debate in, in small ways and big ways, actually, even happening in our own Mennonite brethren circles. And it's really kind of this. Is the Bible true as is and inspired by God and all of it has authority to speak into my life? Or, you know, I mean, it was written in a specific culture and like the writers, the authors, they lived in that culture and they were influenced in that culture. And so really, if, if you kind of dig into enough of the historical context, actually that part really doesn't apply to me. And, and it normally kind of starts off small, maybe critiquing a few comments by Paul or Peter. Uh, eventually, at some point, the Old Testament becomes not relevant. I've even seen it where people will, they, it will actually find its way to Jesus, where they will actually go so far as to say, well, actually, Jesus wanted certain things, but he was just so limited by the confines of his culture that he wasn't really able to do them as he had wanted to do. Which, if you look at how he lived, doesn't line up at all. <laughs> I don't think he was that worried about culture when he was calling people names and, and flipping tables. The, the culture argument plays out, gets played out most commonly around the issues of sexuality, around the LGBTQ dis- conversation. Uh, you see it a lot in the discussion about Christian husbands providing leadership in the home and then the Christian wife um, being of equal value but ultimately um, offering a role of submission. Um, And really almost anything that someone finds offensive, eventually, you know, they will either claim that the local culture influenced the author and so it's not relevant or that it's figurative and not literal. Uh, Even our own Menno Simons had such a hard time with certain parts of the Old Testament he said it, it was figurative. And I, I would have to go back and I'm not sure if it was all the Old Testament or just parts, but I know that for him, there was stuff in the Old Testament that was so disturbing, he was like, ugh, figurative, not literal. And within Christian circles, I, I think this is one of the, one of kind of the dangers uh, that we face. Uh, and it's growing in, in prevalence. Um, yeah. Um, the other thing, too, just generally speaking about Scripture uh, that we just need to be on guard for, especially for us as parents with small kids, is just lack of Bible knowledge. I mean, parents, we have got to be on top of this because one Sunday school lesson a week is not enough to equip a kid for lifelong, hey, what does the Bible speak into this part of my life? Um, like, we've just got to be on top of providing more than, than, than what Sunday school offers. Sunday school is great. I mean, it's kind of like you all. 
if your only Bible intake is once a week during the sermon, like, I'm, I'm actually legitimately concerned for you. Like, you need something else. <laughs> Studies actually show you need Scripture at least four times a week. So uh, rather than you read it four times, you should, like, go home and read four things. Is the Bible true, relevant, or is some of it flexible slash disposable because of uh, the influence of culture? Here, here, are, here are my rules for figuring out what the Bible has to say on something. This is how I operate. All of Scripture is true, it's all relevant, and somehow it all fits together. And if two verses seem to conflict, the fault is not with Scripture, the fault is with me and not yet discovering the third verse that, that helps the two verses fit together. And here's why I believe that. First of all, my belief in that actually comes, I, I was thinking through this, actually comes out of my background out of, out of working with missions on why the Bible must, must be true as is, because it makes no sense that we would send a missionary into a foreign context, and that missionary would go in and say, people, this is the word of God. It is true. It tells us about Jesus. It tells us how to live. It, it contains life and freedom and wholeness, and this is the message that God wants you to hear. However, you know, um, because of culture... Um, I have a pile of commentaries that I need to give you as well, too, so that you can decode the Bible. Um, because what you think it says actually isn't what it says. And so if you, if you look at these scholars, they'll help you decode it. And uh, they'll help you explain that it seems to say one thing, but actually it means the total opposite. And you may think that's silly, but I've completely seen that play out more than once. And so I just, I don't believe that when God calls missionaries into a foreign context, you know, I believe that, that they take the Bible and that's sufficient and that they don't need a stack of commentaries and $4,000 Bible software to decode what it says because it actually means something other than what it says. Secondly, um, the, the reason why I believe that, it, that it's all true and, and relevant and has power for us is what kind of incompetent God would we be serving if he can't figure out what it is that he wants to say? Like, he was great at, like, creating the heavens and the earth and all that kind of thing, but when it comes to, like, communication, he just fumbles his words a lot and he's not so good, so you got to be patient with him. Third, Psalm 119 tells us that the word of God is eternal. The holiness of God does not allow lies to dwell with him for eternity. So either scripture is true and perfect and will last forever, or God suddenly allows lies to dwell with him in eternity forever. And fourth, very simply, is the marker trick. This is the marker trick. Let's say that I write you a letter, and I'm trying to describe something to you, and I say that it's a rectangle. And then later on I say it's a circle. Well, you would say, well, here he says it's a rectangle, here he says it's a circle. One of these must be wrong because an object cannot be both a circle and a rectangle at the same time. That's impossible. When I hold this marker like this, aside from this little tip here, it's a rectangle. When I hold it like this, it's a circle. So if when you add the third dimension... Two things that were incompatible now become compatible. In the two-dimensional realm, the rectangle and the circle cannot coexist. In the three-dimensional realm, it's called a cylinder. 
and now a rectangle and a circle can coexist. So in that letter then, later on, I write, oh, hey, by the way, I'm talking three-dimensional, not two-dimensional. And so you see now that that third piece of information takes two pieces of information that were incompatible, and now they make total sense, and they're completely incompatible. Completely compatible. We're good, right? You guys track the marker? We're good? Somehow everything fits together. Yes, Scripture was written by men, but I think ultimately this comes back to, do we focus on the fact that Scripture had 40 authors, and so it was you know, written by men and they were influenced, or do we say, Scripture had one inspire the Holy Spirit. I mean, in, in, in some ways, you could just bring it back to that. Do, do we focus on the 40 authors? Do we focus on the one spirit who inspired it? Last point. Sabbath rest. We believe that God's act of creation is the model for human activity. While sin has corrupted work and rest, redeemed people are called to restore labor and restore it and, and rest to their proper place. As creatures made in the image of God, Christians imitate the Creator by working faithfully as they are able. They are able to use their abilities and rest- resources to glorify God and to serve others. Because they bear the name of Christ, all believers are called to work honestly and diligently and to treat others with respect and dignity. As God rested on the seventh day, people are called to observe regular times of rest. Rest is an act of thankfulness for which God has provided. Rest is also an act of trust, reminding humans that it is not their work, but God who sustains them. Finally, rest is an act of hope, anticipating the future rest assured by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Following the New Testament example, believers gather to commemorate the resurrection of Christ on the first day of the week. On the Lord's Day, believers joyfully devote themselves to worship, instruction in the word, prayer, breaking of bread, fellowship, and service. They limit their labor to work of necessity and deeds of mercy. In the writings on Sabbath rest, uh, they point out that work is good. That's actually the place where they begin. And I, I appreciate that they included that. Even in the Garden of Eden, when everything was perfect, there was work. God gave work to Adam and Eve. Their, their, their job was to care for and, and tend to the garden. Work is good. Second Thessalonians. For even uh, when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. It is good for us to work. It is a gift to us to work. Remember also that biblically speaking, work is more than just nine to five job. Work includes taking care of one's household, food, shelter, security, stability. It involves providing the infrastructure so that society can function, government, health care, and transportation, and commerce, exploring the breadth of creation, human, culture, science, and, and the arts. The executive, the mechanic, the stay-at-home mom all have given dignity, God-given dignity and purpose. Garden of Eden. Man is created day six. God rests day seven. We begin our relationship with God from a place of rest. The first full day that Adam and Eve and God experienced together was a day of rest. The parallels to salvation are thick. 
for us, life with Christ begins at a place of rest. And, and even if you were to compare it to salvation, God works, and then he rests, and then we begin our life with him from that place of rest, and then from that place of rest, then we begin our endeavors. Rest is not a reward for you meeting some kind of productivity target. Rest is the place from which you begin your endeavors. Rest is important. It's important also to remember that rest is more than just a good nap. And it's bigger than leisure. We've kind of gotten this a little bit confused. Too many people have confused leisure with resting in God. Good relationships are refreshing. Whether they be with your spouse or a good friend or a family member, that kind of thing. The, The same is true with God. The Sabbath rest should somehow refresh you in the Lord, refresh you in that relationship with God. It is much, much bigger than than simply leisure. As a side note, according to Jewish tradition, when a couple enjoys marital intimacy on the Sabbath, it's considered a double blessing. You're welcome. This community does a good job of not working on Sunday, and I commend you for that. In, in, in our day, overworking is one of the few command violations that is so clearly rewarded by our world. Work hard, get more money, more promotion, more praise, that kind of thing. A co-worker of mine, he, he was in the uh, finance world, and he says, I realized I was falling behind in the rat race because I was only willing to work six days a week. What's fascinating about his story is that if you fast forward then a few years... He actually ended up as vice president of a company, and he was, they were very involved in a church plant, and he walked into their office, and I mean, this is a culture where everyone's wanting to work more, 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 get ahead, and he said, I'd actually like to work four days a week. Pay me 80% of the offered salary, but I, I only want to work four days a week because I want to give the other two to church. And their response was some variation of like, you're crazy, but he said, hey, let's give it a go. If I'm able to get the work done, you pay me less money, like everyone wins. And he was in that job for years and years. The, the comments on how Sabbath rest is an act of trust and of faith and us relying on God to help us get stuff done, that is huge. We could probably do three sermons on that one. I know that for some people, because of your profession, Sunday has to be a work day. Uh, those in the medical field, uh, police officers. Um, For me, like this is, you know, a work day. But Jesus has given us the freedom to take a Sabbath rest on another day of the week, which is, is great. Just be sure that you are taking that Sabbath rest and that you are finding time to be refreshed in the Lord. Work and rest are gifts to you from the Lord, but keep them in proper balance called the sermon finding and experiencing god god has played an active role in revealing himself to us through nature so much so that it actually justifies his judicial system around salvation but also in scripture we find the fullest revelation of god like this is the place where we really go to learn and know and experience christ and because of the holy spirit we do this in community priesthood of 
all believers, discerning Scripture together. But I also pray that, that, you, that you find and experience God in your Sabbath rest. I pray that every time you take a Sabbath rest, that, it, that it's, it's more than just you not working, it's more than just le- leisure. Like that is your soul being revitalized because of that relationship with God that invigorates you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so vast. It's remarkable. And we can never understand it all. I mean, even the Trinity, we... It's so simple and yet so hard to understand all at the same time. And so, Lord, we just worship you because you are amazing. And, Lord, we thank you that you took such an active role in revealing yourself to us in nature, in Scripture, even in one another as your Holy Spirit works within us. You are actively, actively working to reveal yourself to all people in all places. And this idea that you pursue us wherever we are is amazing. But Lord, we want to pursue you. And we want to experience you, Lord. We want to experience you in community. We want to experience you in the scriptures. Lord, we want to experience you in our Sabbath rest. God, I pray that for all of those here that today would refresh their souls. That it would be more than just a nap or taking a break from work. They would be refreshed in their relationship with you. And that they would begin their week invigorated and restored. You're so good to us, Lord. So good. And we are so thankful. In your name, amen. Please stand as we respond. Judging. 